Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified. This is your girl, Monica Wisdom. And as usual, I am excited to be here with you today. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're having a magnificent day. Listen, Black Women Amplified has reached across the world. We are being heard in Africa, the continent of Africa, specifically Kenya, Ghana, South Africa, Johannesburg, I'm trying to remember, I don't have it in front of me, but also Europe, as well as Asia and South America. So I'm excited that we are branching out across the world, across the globe, and none of that would be happening without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen, today's conversation, I'm not going to chat too long about me. I'm going to come back with some solo episodes so that you can catch up about what's going on in my life because there's some stuff we have got to talk about affirmative action. Listen, I'm not going to get started today, but it's going to be a conversation that we're going to have. So yeah, we got to have the conversation. Anyway, today I'm so happy to be speaking with Athena Monet. Athena is a mother, teacher, healer, author, architect, and a practicing shaman. Athena empowers women to turn their breakdowns into breakthroughs with a bit of help from the spirit world. She joins the Black Women Amplified today to share her remarkable journey from being an architect and artist and becoming rooted in shamanism. Athena's story is an example of following your path and embracing the calling within you. So listen, ladies and the men who love us, please give a warm welcome to Miss Athena Monet, the Seaside Shaman. Hello, Athena. How are you? Powerful name, powerful woman. I'm so excited that you are here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Hello. <laughs> Listen, I am a girl who loves to talk about the woo-woo thing. So when this opportunity came up, I was like, of course, let's talk about all the things. <laughs> Let's open the box. (laughs) Open the box. You know, here's the thing. As a Black woman, I know that our journey to healing is very complicated and very long. And for women like me, traditional therapy did not work. (laughs) It was helpful, but it was not healing. So before we get into shamanism and before we get into your practice, I want to know a little bit more about you and the community that raised you and guided you as a child. Okay, you're immediately making me need to open up a quote that I saw today Mm. that I added to my Pinterest board for my Breakthrough Bootcamp group. So we each create a Pinterest board about our identities. And I saw one um, and it's just said in beautiful letters across the top, Black woman. And it said, as if you were reading the definition in the dictionary, it's written out kind of with those cool characters, the pronunciation. Mm -hmm. And it says, one, powerful, beautiful, resilient, skilled, otherworldly, envied, feared, kissed by the sun's rays. Mm. And that just like, when I saw that, I felt all the permission in the world to be myself in this world, to be okay with being otherworldly, to be okay with the fact that I have had to develop resilience due to life circumstances and traumas and all of that, that that's a beautiful part of what has made me powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Feared because of that power, right? But that kiss by the sun's rays, when I read that, wow, the chosen ones, right? Like mm-hmm. I was given that opportunity to withhold more of the sun's rays. It just felt so, so strong, so powerful. 
and made me feel so proud to be a black woman in this world, which, you know, leads me right into my history. My story is that I haven't always felt proud to be a black woman in this world. Mm -hmm. So I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm. And so in the early eighties, when there was still some separation of race, I remember as a little girl, even though it was the early eighties, we still were like walking kind of on separate sides of the street. We still viewed white people as other. There was a lot of division and viewing ourselves as other. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, my dad's Creole. So I've got the the mix, the Creole roots. You know, my hair was looser actually when I was younger. Now it's three babies in and got nice and tight. <laughs> those hormones, girl, those hormones. No. <laughs> right? So I had a little bit looser curl. So I'm growing up in this world looking a little bit different, you know, looking a little bit different, a little bit maybe mixed with a little something, but like what is in there, right? And so I moved to Ohio and Ohio in grade school, coming from Louisiana to Ohio, major culture shock. So now I moved to an environment where previously it was, you know, definitely being in with the Black community and my family. And then Ohio, half of my family was there. But I was now in a setting where I'm going to the schools where there's very few Black children like myself walking through, you know, parts of town and living in parts of town where there were very few Black people that looked like me. And that was my experience through the remainder of my primary school years, my middle school years, my high school years. I was one of, I believe in high school, we were 0.4% Black. So uh, growing up in that environment, I had a very low self-confidence. I felt ashamed of my hair because it was different. It wasn't straight. So I started straightening my hair. I wanted a relaxer so bad, but I, I wasn't actually allowed to get one. So I would get the flat iron and press out my curls. And I had longer hair. And I remember some of the Black girls, the few that were there, would say like, oh, she has a weave in her hair because I had longer hair at the time. And I, and I didn't feel embraced by them. I didn't feel embraced by that part of who would have been my community. And then I remember making friends, one of my best friends from when I first moved to Ohio. She lived on the other side of town, went to the Black school. She was very in touch with the Black community because of where she was growing up. And I loved visiting her because I would get to go to basketball games. Right. (laughs) Right. And the black boys were interested in me, but the white boys were not. So it was like this whole experience of polarity Mm -hmm. where at my school, the boys show zero interest, but then I would go into the city and then they'd be like super interested and, you know, asking for my phone number, all the cute things that happens in high school in the city. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just remember really loving that. And, but when I would be with her, people would say, why do you talk white? (laughs) Right? So I was like, can I, can I fit in somewhere? Okay. Can I fit in somewhere? And I went to college and finally, by the time I got to college at Ohio State, it was definitely more mixed. And I met friends from all over the world. So I was one of entire, you know, blended beautiful melting pot of internationality. So finally, I felt at home with my friends who were from other countries. I had friends who were, you know, Japanese, Korean, Indian, Black, white, everything in between. And I finally was like, okay, I found my people here. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the color. It was about our, our spirits. It was about our interests in art and architecture. So that was where I really connect with that community. And I was studying yoga and all of this at that time. And eventually that's what kind of led me to where I am, to where I started to walk forward on my spiritual path, which then took me backwards into healing some of the traumas and the things that I experienced growing up. It's very interesting because I tell people all the time, I said, there needs to be a show about girls like us who were the Black kids in the white schools, Black families, and you never quite fit in yeah. Not because of your complexion specifically, but because of how you were raised, your culture. So you sound different because they, they didn't call me an Oreo, but they told me I was born and raised a white girl. And I used <laughs> to tell them, I'm like, my family is so black, but my family was small town. Okay. So we didn't have that. It was a very small town. So everybody, black, white or whatever, had the same dialect. 
Yes. And so when I graduated high school is when I was like, I'm about to find my blackness, even though it was in my family and it was strong, but I get what you're saying. It was like, yeah. and this is, I'm Gen X. So this was the verge of hip hop. So I found my, I went to the hip hop route. I was yes. in all the places I didn't need to be. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fun. And so I even consciously changed my dialect because I didn't want to be considered. I got tired of being called a white girl. Yeah. It's funny about the way the way we speak for our accents and how that's perceived and how that can make us feel like we fit in or like we don't. I remember as a child moving from Louisiana to Ohio and the and people would say now like, wow, you have no accent. I'm like that got bullied out of me so fast. Mm -hmm. Coming from Louisiana to Ohio when I had a little accent and we would say things like in Louisiana, you would say like, you know, if you want a cold drink uh, mm -hmm. in Ohio, it's pop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> here it's soda. So you can't say there's certain words that I would say it or I would speak a certain way. And then people would look at me like, what? You know, <laughs> and so that very quickly made me feel like, oh, and then I, I went through a shy phase where I was like, I'm not going to talk. Mm -hmm. So I, stopped. I got very quiet and shy for like 10 years. Mm. Because, well, if every time I open my mouth to speak, somebody looks at me like, like I'm from another planet or like I have three heads and they don't understand what I'm saying. I'm just going to do my best to not speak. Oh, wow. Right. So I was super quiet and shy for like a decade until after high school. Man, that's incredible. Yes. It's, it's like life silenced you. It totally just, did. Just for you being yourself. And so that's a whole, I mean, it's one thing to be othered in the white community, but it's a whole nother thing for society to say, you're a little different. <laughs> <laughs> and for you to decide, well, I'm just not going to talk. It reminds me of uh, my Angelou's book. I know why the cage birds sing. I know why the cage birds sing. That yeah. book, oh my God. Talk about trauma and talk about a book that I saw myself in the character. Mm -hmm. I did experience a lot of that. And I did, I remember reading it, watching the movie, and I was that little girl. Mm -hmm. I can tell. Ooh. So many different directions I can go into right now. <laughs> I know. I know it. I know. Like, guide me right now. Because there's so there's so many different conversations. But I, I do want to know what attracted you to architecture and anthropology. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I grew up making art. That was my creative outlet as a little girl. I remember I was probably like one of my favorite memories. That one of the things that built my confidence and made me feel so good. I was about three years old in the closet with my sister and we were drawing and I remember it so vividly and she looked over and we call each other sister B. Her birthday was actually yesterday and we're in the closet together and she looks at my art and she's like, sister B, that is so good. And I just remember her affirming to me that expression of myself and how, you know, how beautiful that was. And so every time I was making art, I was pouring myself into it and others would tell me how beautiful or how good. And this was, again, during times of my life later, as I moved through my youth and my adolescence, when I wasn't really speaking, I wasn't really expressing myself with my words, I was drawing a lot. And so I would connect with friends through drawing, through art. Actually, my former husband, my kid's father, we grew up making art together. And it just started with us in high school, sitting side by side, making art. He, an, he's, he is an incredible artist. And we would just sit silently beside each other and make art. And we were both pretty quiet kids. And then our relationship started to grow into words. And we built a really special bond. And we went through a period of separation and coming back together. But in college, we both wanted to pursue fine art. So he went to Chicago to the School of the Arts Institute. I went to Ohio State and I started out in fine art. But within the first couple of weeks, and it's one of those fate things, someone, someone happened to tell me about an open house for interior architecture program. It was like a new program at the school. Somebody told me about it. It was in the art building and I was already over there for class. So I was like, let me go check this out. So I go to this thing and I figured I'd just be curious. And the kids are talking about it. They're talking about this exam that's coming up. It sounded amazing. I was like, wait a minute. You can make art with space? Mm -hmm. Space. I was obsessed with Tim Burton, right? Like all the Tim Burton movies. So I started thinking like, whoa, 
what if I took my art, create a space with it, and I could do, you know, cool stuff like what Tim Burton has in his movies and all that. So I thought, well, I'll just take the test and see if I get in. They only accepted 16 to 18 people a year in the program. I figured, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. I'm not that attached to it. So the exams came around. I applied, got accepted into the program, and I was in for five years. So it was interior architecture that my dream was to create sets for movies and to design. Yeah. So that was kind of how it started. And all the while through university, I was just so fascinated by anthropology. I just literally stumbled into it. And I just kept taking the classes every quarter. I didn't know why. (laughs) So I was one credit shy of a minor in anthropology. And in the end, I was like, I don't know what I would do with this. So I didn't finish it. I didn't take that one last class because I was so burnt out after five years. I was like, I can't. In hindsight now, a lot of shamans actually have their degrees, their graduate degrees in anthropology. So it's a fun thread of connection between that part of me that was always there that I didn't didn't really realize consciously was leading me down this path. Now in anthropology, do you study, uh, well, I know it's a study of people and culture. Yes. Did, was there one area that kind of like, you were like, whoo. This feels good. The beginning of humanity. Okay. (laughs) So when when we would read about like Artipithecus and like, you know, the remains found, and then they would show the kind of carbon dating of when certain remains were found and they try to guesstimate the cultures and how they lived and how they walked and how they ate and how they came to be, how they migrated. I remember feeling like I just knew things about humans. I remember being in class and just feeling like they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, but let me stay, let me stay, let me hear more. And then sometimes I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, that feels really true. So it would be fun to be in class with these professors, you know, read the the texts, um, study it deeper on my own outside of class and to really just dig in out of curiosity mm-hmm. and desire to know more about how we started. How did we get here? How did we come to become more and more conscious as we evolve through each age of time? And it's super cool now. We're going through another period of rising consciousness, right? Oh my goodness. So it's wild when you think about how primitive we were and now we've entered into the age of Aquarius. Like I love that we can divide them up with timestamps and like literally in the last three years, we just cross into a new age and a new level of consciousness. And we chose to be here at the start of this new phase and we get to experience also being a part of the rising consciousness. So, yeah, this is, (laughs) this is, I mean, it literally feels like for me, like parts of me are literally splitting apart. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, I can't even think like this anymore. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound right. That's what's happening. I'm not quite over here yet. Yeah. It feels like my, and I'm not going to say my work work, but my life work is just like the world is catching up to what I've been doing for years. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't feel like the weirdo anymore. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I get it. But what about, shamanism did you see in yourself as a child you feel things or see things or yeah I guess before we get into that question what is shamanism yeah so my elevator pitch like my quick elevator (laughs) you can make it long (laughs) like the quick pitch is a shaman is someone who works with the spirit world on behalf of others and the planet Um, So that's the quick in a nutshell, which pretty much sums it up. But shamans span all cultures, all religions. They span time. They're usually viewed as a leader in their communities and someone who acts as a bridge between the spirit world and this world. Mm -hmm. So we travel. We walk across that bridge. We walk across the bridge between realities. What people think is real and possible, we don't. Are we allowed to swear on here? <laughs> I was like, oh, I feel like I swear it was trying to come out. We don't Listen, question. <laughs> we you can don't say whatever question. you want to. This is an open conversation. 
right? Sometimes they just like for emphasis just slip out. Right. But the bridge of consciousness and the bridge between realities for us is not a thing. You know, we just move across it. And when let's say our friends, our fellows, our families are really stuck in the 3D, we are willing to move across that bridge on their behalf, do whatever work needs to be done and then come back and support them in the ways that we need to. So we exist between multiple realities, travel between them, work between them, and we're doing our part here on this planet to help move it forward in consciousness. And it's so interesting you're talking about that. And I know somebody was like, what is she talking about? I'm like, uh, the metaverse. Tell me about it. Doctor Strange, one of my favorite Doctor movies. Doctor Strange, but that movie that won all the awards at the Academy Awards, what is it? Everything, everywhere. Yeah, every anything, everything, all at once, or everything, everything everywhere. all at once. Yes, where they were traveling <laughs> between time and space and people and per. I'm like, that is the whole conversation that people were like, "What are y'all doing?" You know, it's yeah. It's- that movie was a lot. <laughs> I was like, whoa, they took it really far. I had to take it in parts. Like, I, know. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'll come back to this. I, cause it's, it was a lot. My brain was, was like, I get everything they're talking about, but this is a lot. It's too fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm more, <laughs> and at the I'm end, more Yeah. And at the end, they were rocks. I said, no, wait a minute. <laughs> like, they were just rocks, just scooching. <laughs> like, I was like, no, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, that that was cool. So did you see elements of what you're doing now as a child? Yeah, so I saw things, I heard things, I felt things, had all the extra sensory senses as a child. I tell the story that I know a lot of people can relate to of, I remember seeing figures in my room Mm-hmm. Um, like seeing there was like a Native American man that was sitting at the foot of the bed. You know, I remember these things. I remember saying like, mommy, there's a man at the foot of the bed. You know, and she'd be like, no, there's not. <laughs> so then as I got, I think when I was around six, seven, I moved to Ohio and I remember seeing Drop Dead Fred and I remember being told about imaginary friends. And I remember thinking, okay, okay, okay. So this girl has these imaginary friends, mm-hmm. people think crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not, but I can make them go away. Right. So the movie taught me that one there, obviously there must be somebody else out there that sees these things because there's a movie about it. I love movies because they validate our realities when most don't think that they exist. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember learning, Oh, okay. So she was able to make him go away so I can make them go away. So I would feel things from people as well, people's feelings, you know, and I remember just feeling sad for people, feeling like people were hiding things, adults, you know, feeling like the adults in my life were hiding things from me, being dishonest. I did experience, experience you know, the, the abuse, the trauma, all the things and that help you to learn how to dissociate. <laughs> so I learned how to dissociate. You're just like, what? Oh, I'm just over here in my head right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. Out. Yeah, I'm just going to check out. This doesn't feel safe. I don't feel mm-hmm. safe. I don't know where I am. I don't want to be here. I can't escape. So I'm just going to escape in my mind through my consciousness. So I started that pretty early, pretty young. I also have really vivid dreams as a child that I still remember to this day. And I do believe I was traveling in the dream realm as a child, but I wasn't aware exactly of what was happening and seeing pretty horrific traumatic things even in the dream realm as a child now i understand so now i'll have dreams where i am in other places i have a lot of africa dreams for some reason so i'll wake up on the other side i'll be in someone else's body in africa in a really awful circumstance i had one not too long ago like a year ago where i was in the mines with children all through the mines there were these men that looked like soldiers with weapons, children were falling off the ledges and dying and being injured. And we were just forced to continue working. And so I'm aware that in the dream state, I am waking up in the body of someone else who's having that experience. When I wake up from those experiences now as an adult, I will do some shamanic work where I go and I 
work with the angels. I work with our helpers to try to find the help that these children need in the spiritual plane. And I do firmly believe that it shows up in the 3D, although I haven't, I never received validation, right? Sometimes I do. Sometimes a news article will, will show up and it'll be exactly aligned with something that I tried to send helpers to. But now I know that I am placing the bodies of these people. A lot of times it'll be like children who are being trafficked. I'll wake up in the other realm and I'll be in the body of a mother whose child was just stolen and being trafficked. Again, I don't know why, but a lot of times in Africa. And so I'll wake up on this side, connect with the angels, go try to do some work to make sure that whoever is abducting these children are brought to justice. And I follow a lot of people that support human trafficking efforts, specifically child trafficking. So as a child, I would see those type of things in my sleep. But it was just frightening. I didn't know what I was seeing. It was just a nightmare, right? As an adult now, I know it's a calling for work to be done. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I remember going through, I went through a lot of trauma and abuse and I remember having lots of nightmares, but it didn't, wasn't necessarily the nightmare I was living in. So it makes me think that maybe our nightmares were us actually traveling, like you said, to other places. Yeah. Oof, I got chills there. And even now I can have a dream. And it really literally feels like I'm somewhere else. It's not like a dream state. It's like I'm actually someplace else and whatever, but I don't <laughs> know how to develop it. Yeah, but it, it, it's, and they're so vivid and so real. I wake up, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, who was I fighting? Did, yeah. I, <laughs> did I land in some warriors? Because I wake up and I have cuts on my body or just weirdness. There's and I'm like, happening. what is going on? And I wake up and I'm exhausted. I'm like, okay, something else is going on. But back to this conversation, like I told you, we can go in 15 different directions. I know, I know. When you, before you got into shamanism, were there other indigenous cultures that you explored? So after leaving Louisiana, I would still spend summers and my break, like spring breaks there because my dad's side and my family was, half my family was still there. And so... All throughout my youth, whenever I was in Louisiana and we would visit New Orleans specifically, which was not too far from Baton Rouge, I remember walking through the French Quarter through Bourbon Street and I would see like the the hoodoo shops and I would be so curious. Like I'd see the ladies with the tarot cards and everything and I would be, as a kid, I'd be like, what's in there? And you know, my mom would always be like, uh-uh, don't look in there. We don't, we don't mess with that, you know? So I grew up very curious about that culture and that part of my ancestry, so to say, because I, I do believe that's in my blood uh, from down there. And then as I got older and older, I would hear stories about my great-grandmother who she passed when I was very young, but they would say that she made herbal remedies for people, that she prayed over people, that she she was quite magical is what the family would tell of her. And she gardened and grew her own herbs, and but she was a Jehovah's Witness. But they would just speak of her in such a beautiful high way, like she was such a highly vibrant being. And I always felt connected with her. And I do believe that she's been with me through this entire journey. And I had another grandmother of mine, she, who I did grow up with and spend a lot of time with, she would also pray over people. She was a prophet, so she would speak over you. She was, I would say, I don't think she was Baptist, but on the Christian side, she was very involved with the church and she would lay hands on people when they were ill. So I remember like people coming to her house, her laying hands over them, always with the kids. Anytime we were sick, she would lay her hands over us. She would speak sometimes in tongues, sometimes just a spoken word prayer. And like, we would get better pretty fast. (laughs) And she was just constantly mixing stuff, you know, up and remedies, etc. But as a kid, I also loved that she loved kids. She was always the one with all the kids at her house. She would make Play-Doh. I remember she would make bubbles. And now I laugh because I have become her, right? (laughs) I have all these kids in the house. And I'm like making bubbles and making Play-Doh and making me and my daughter just made a fairy potion. today. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I am grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) I am her. That is so funny. This, I love this. So 
had you ever looked into hoodoo as a practice for yourself or was it, is it just something you're still curious about? Or do you find a connection with what you're doing now? And hoodoo? Mm. Yeah. So, so having these grandmothers that span different religions and brought Christ into the work, I actually have rejected the Christianity aspect of it as a young woman. Like I, I was involved with the Christian church and there came a point when I was actually married twice before. And the first marriage was dissolved in the state. So it- first of all, you only look like you're 15. <laughs> you're telling me you have five children, <laughs> two ex-husbands and a partner. I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. What potion yeah, are that. you using? Because I feel like you're going to about to tell me, well, actually, when I turned 75 two years ago. <laughs> I love that. I look like I'm 15. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is too funny. I'll give you the fairy potion. Right. But... <laughs> the youth potion. <laughs> Today we made, what do we call it? The brain potion. And we made the, I made my daughter a peace potion and a little necklace. So next, the youth potion. <laughs> I'll have to publish that one. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, right? So I... I was, I was married. I got married when I was 21 to my first, my first husband. And again, technically, according to the state of Ohio, it never happened, (laughs) but it happened. It happened. (laughs) And it was actually encouraged by my pastor at the time in my church. He, he really, he kind of pushed us into marriage because of, you know, oh, people are talking in the church and you guys live together. You know, you have a kid together now. So so I did it. I trusted him. He was my the only positive male figure other than my uncle, who I'm very close to. And I knew it wasn't right for me, but I didn't listen to my intuition. I listened to my pastor instead. And after that, the marriage lasted about six months. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Right? This is not the person that I am designed to spend this life with. I know that. My being. So we ended the marriage and I left the church because I felt like I had been led astray. There were other things. Uh, I didn't agree with a lot of the concepts on homosexuality. I felt like there was judgment. There were things that were spoken that I just felt, mm, I don't think Christ really would have said that. <laughs> right. So as those things were being spoken, I just decided to disconnect. And then fast forward another, I guess, 10 years later. When my mom passed away, mommy passed away, I was really angry at God. And I was like, there cannot be a God. Because I was like, what kind of God would allow such an angel of a woman to suffer in this way at the end of her life? She has had enough suffering Mm -hmm. in her life. I was pissed. I was like, you took away her 11-year-old son. You let her husband cheat on her. You did this. You let you let her second husband die from cancer at a young age. You know, you put her through all this health troubles. And now you're going to let her last days look like this, bleeding out of the hospital bed with the, these horrible pain and smells and all this thing. You don't exist. Right. I'm so mad. And I asked the chaplain in the uh, hospice, like, what, you know, if God is real, what do you, what does your God say about suffering? Mm-hmm. And the chaplain was speechless. And I was angry. And so I, I remember I went to my hotel room that night that she passed and I wrote on a sheet of paper, what is the purpose of suffering? Mm-hmm. I folded it angry, put it on the dresser, just like threw it on the dresser. And then in the morning I woke up and this voice said to me, I want you to open your phone and I want you to search the purpose of suffering mm. and this Buddhist. And I, at that point I was very, I actually was very connected with Buddhist philosophy for about I'd say like 15 years at that point. And so it was a Buddhist article on the purpose of suffering. And then the voice said to me, look at how she moved everyone. Look at how her suffering moves everyone in her life. Look at how people showed up who haven't showed up before. Look at the love that showed up. So I was shown a ripple. Uh, like a drop in the water and the ripple and how her suffering was just a drop in the water for her soul. But it created this beautiful ripple effect. And now hindsight, it's been, it's been eight years since she passed. I see how it affected me. 
the ripple effect that it created within my own spirit. And so I thought, hmm, okay, I understand suffering, but I still don't believe that God's real. <laughs> right? So I was like, okay, cool. Whatever that voice was, it was my own intuition telling me, you know, that that the suffering has purpose and I buy it. I buy this. So I, I felt some peace. And I went a couple of years questioning God. And then one year I was in the, and this is a long answer to your question, but I was in the canyons of Sedona with a friend and I was really strongly guided off of this pathway with my, one of my best friends. And I look up and I'm like, do you see that like over here off of this path that looks like kind of like water or like vapors over that round area? And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. Can we, can we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Story of my life. Me being like, do you see that? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that happened. Or I'll say something and somebody, and I'll be like, Somebody would be like, uh, how did you know that? And I'll be like, didn't you tell me that? And they're like, no. <laughs> so we walk over. I'm like, can we walk over here? We walk over. It's ice cold. And she's like, whoa. She's like, I can feel that because the temperature shifted. So we were near a vortex in um, Sedona. So I'm like, let's just sit. Let's just sit right here. And this is like off a trail, you know, not on the map or anything like that. So we sit down. We get out her journals, we're just sitting and we're both bawling, crying. <laughs> and we don't know why. Mm. And I start to feel this vibration like coming up through the bottoms of my feet. I start to write and journal and talk with my friend about the horrible trauma that I experienced as a girl. And I'm feeling it being released. And at the same time, I'm feeling like I'm being spoken to from this vibration in my legs, right? So I'm like, oh my God, I think it's God. <laughs> so we started talking and without a doubt that that day, we sat for probably six hours, I think that day. And that was the day that I can say for certain that I connected with God. Mm. Without a doubt, after that day, I was like, I don't question because that was crazy. Like there was a vibration and a voice moving through my body and moving the pain out of my body associated with my trauma. And I can't question that. And that voice has never left me. It's still here every day since. So since that moment, are you ever triggered for the re from the things that you released from that day? Mm, from like past trauma? Mm -hmm. yeah, well, so that specific, whatever that was that was released from you. Yeah. Do you feel that that has it like left? Or is yeah. something still resonating within you? Yeah, so trauma is a funny thing. <laughs> we could spend a whole day talking about trauma, I'm sure you know. But what I can say is I just heard the word activated. So it also activated the memory, the cellular memory of the trauma inside of me where I had repressed memories. So it wasn't a complete purge, but it was an activation. And that activation has allowed for me to slowly draw upon the, we'll call it gifts as much as that sounds very strange, the gifts that I have gained from that trauma, right? Like the, the sweeter effects of it. It's been a dance for years as I heal from those traumas and witness them and look at them slowly. And it, it's allowed to be a slow process, right? So sometimes when we're confronting our traumas, we think we have to do it all at once, or we're afraid to do it because we don't know what it's going to look like. One thing that I pride myself in as a shaman is healing our traumas very gently. And my process has been very gentle. So they were activated. They were kicked up. The repressed memory slowly you know, started to come back. And I dealt with them, you know, piece by piece, piece by piece. Right. And I just had a picture in my mind of like beautiful little packages, you know, really small little packages where you just tie it with a little bow. You just kind of give it away. And, and that's something to be shared later. And so they came up through that. Yes, there are times when my traumas have been triggered if I revisit a specific location in Ohio. Or if I see a movie where the a young character is experiencing a trauma similar to what I've experienced. So there are times when it might be triggered and then I'll breathe through that. I might have a dream that's healing to me. I might need to journal through it. I might need to call my shaman up. But then again, that's just another little layer that we look at 
we feel, we package up, and then we set aside. That's beautiful because what you have learned through your practice is how to respond to your triggers, which is what shamanism and your work does for people. It it teaches you how it's not that it's going to cure you or fix you because there's nothing really wrong with you, but it teaches you how to respond in a way that is healthy and healing and honors the moment that you're in as opposed to trying to fight it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I just thought about, as you were saying that, like rainstorms, you know, like rainstorms come, some of them might be scary. Some of them might be, oh, we notice it. And that's that. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending where you live, it could be really traumatic. And just the thought of it coming, sometimes, you know, you need to prepare for a storm. So triggers work in a similar way they're going to come. They're going to come and how we sit through them. Sometimes with a rainstorm, you just, you go inside, you know, and think about that. Like you go inside of yourself and you just sit there a little bit until the storm passes. Sometimes you need to be with someone else. Sometimes you need to call someone. So when the storm of a trigger comes, it could be soft. It could be big. Sometimes you need someone. Sometimes you just sit with yourself and it passes. That's beautiful. I love that analogy. That's the perfect thing because sometimes they're violent storms. Yes. And sometimes they're just quiet rains, but they're there, but they go away. Yes. Just like a cloud. It it just keeps moving through. And I think the more we dig into our toolkit, our response time might be a little shorter and a little shorter. But if it's not, that's okay too. Okay. Or whatever it is. Now, I want to talk about you were working in architecture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here like picturing like, okay, it does Ow. make sense though. It, 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 <laughs> so <laughs> let's piece all that together. But you worked in a, an environment for 10 years. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? And what prompted you to walk away from something you had ve- invested so much time and energy into for over a decade? Yeah, my child. (laughs) The greatest catalysts, you know, that there are, our children, our offspring, our babies. So my first child was my catalyst to leave Ohio, move to the city, take a job with a big international architecture firm, one of the best in the world at the time, and to be a badass, right? Like I was like, I'm going to prove that a young mother, single mom, whatever it is, can be a badass, can have a good salary, can have this degree, can work in the top firm, you know, and hold it down and take care of herself and her kids. So I was like, I'm going to prove this. And I did. (laughs) And I had a great partner and he was in school. So I supported uh, the three of us for a while. And then we had our second kid. And when we had our second kid, he was the catalyst for a new experience. I had already started to tiptoe my way out of the 60 hour work weeks, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? I was trying to tiptoe out of the whole dance. I lived right outside of the city, not a bad train ride, but I would hop on the Metro, go into work in the city, hop back on the Metro, pick up my kid from daycare or school and get right into the grind of like cooking dinner, getting them ready for bed. I was exhausted. I was just in that hamster wheel. And I was really starting to envision something different, you know, and I was starting to play with some ideas. It all started with me just wanting a lighter schedule so I could spend time with my kid. And so it started with that. So me asking for a flexible schedule, asking for, can I work from home on Wednesdays? That's what it started with. And then it was like, ah, I'm still not feeling like enough, right? right? Like I still feel like I'm working a lot. And then there was the big layoffs that happened in 2008 or nine. And I was like, let go from the first big firm. So I took six months to be with my son before he started kindergarten. And I pulled everything from my retirement to take off for six months to just enjoy him. We enjoyed, we had the best time. I will never regret this. We had the best time. People hoard their money and they think like, I need to save for retirement. You know, if you ever hit a moment where you have the opportunity to use that for something that is going to fulfill your heart, then I'll do it because it always comes back. 
It always comes back. So I took that money. I took the time off. I enrolled in art classes <laughs> and me and my son would just like go to the museum with our buddies. We walk all over town and all over the city and just, we had the best six months before kindergarten. And literally the day before he went back to school, I got a call from someone who was like, Hey, such and such a Gensler said that you got laid off, you know, a few months ago and that you might be looking for a job. And I was like, yeah, I am. I actually was going to start looking next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so they were like, yeah, well, why don't you come in next week for an interview? Right. So right after my kid goes back to school, I have an interview, get the job with another wonderful national architecture firm, get back in there, back to the grind. And I'm like, ah, oh, I really don't like this. <laughs> So I'm back in the same wheel, right? So that happens. Sometimes we, re we repeat patterns until we, we catch the thing. Um, so I'm really not liking these hours. I'm also not liking that I can't really express my creative side. I was doing a lot of corporate work. I was doing mm. like banks and law firms and corporate offices. You know, I wasn't doing Tim Burton's set design. <laughs> not the sexy stuff. You weren't doing the sexy stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really have that in Washington, D.C. <laughs> No, they don't have that there. I, I needed to go to California, you know, but that, that was something I didn't do. I didn't make that. I didn't go that path. Right. That was one life path I could have gone. I didn't go that path. So I'm in this firm and I'm and, and I'm having my employee reviews every year and I'm doing yoga to kind of stay grounded and keep my body right. And I, I loved my yoga practice and my yoga community. So I would say in my professional development assessment every year, I really want to do a yoga teacher training. <laughs> and they didn't seem like they understood. <laughs> They're like, okay, cool, you should do that. You know, like that doesn't really relate to this, but okay. And so finally, fast forward one year, I was actually had pulled out of that job and I was starting to get the art of manifesting a little bit, not consciously, but I was starting, it, I was working it. So I started visualizing, like, I really want to do restaurant design. I think that would be more creative. I'd have more fun. So I manifested a job with a restaurant group and I also manifested a flexible schedule and it was five minutes from where I lived in Old Town. So it was perfect, right? So I get in there and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. it starts, things start to pick up. It's going very well. And uh, then again, I was back with the long hours. So I'm like, ah, really not loving the long hours. And uh, at this point, I have my second child. Or no, I, I didn't have him yet. It was right before I had him. And I told my boss, you know, I can't work these hours anymore. I don't want to do, I don't want to do these hours anymore. Like I was here till 1am last night. I can't do that. I got a kid at home. Mm -hmm. And so I went in, that was on a Friday. And then on Monday I went in and he fired me. <laughs> he fired me. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that day though, that morning before work, I had run into a friend who told me about our studio having an open house for yoga teacher training. Mm. So when I got fired, I was like, you know what? I'm going to the yoga teacher training thing. So I did. The rest is history. I did the yoga teacher training, kept trying to figure my way to like, okay, it's like your show. It's like those little games where you move the little squares around until you put the picture together. Remember those little, the party mm -hmm. game? Mm -hmm. So my life was like that. I was just moving things around. Things weren't fitting. It didn't look right. It wasn't, you know, so I would move another piece. So I did the teacher training. Then I started working with the kids yoga nonprofit. Then I was teaching yoga in the schools and I was super happy because I was with my son. My schedule was flexible. I was teaching yoga in the schools and I was also doing some part-time architecture work mm. for another architect. So I was like, this is it. Like I've got it figured out. A <laughs> little bit of yoga, a little bit of architecture, and I could be a mom and like be home with my kids. I got pregnant, had the second. And I was like, oh, my work is not supporting the cost of living here. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, so that piece didn't fit, right? The finance piece didn't fit. And my husband and I were struggling financially. So, and that puts a strain on your relationship. Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right, we need to move because I like the work I'm doing. I like my schedule. I like being with my kids. The non-denominator here is the fact that we can't afford to live here and me have that lifestyle. And I'm not moving to the suburbs. I'm not moving to the suburbs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we walked through it. I was like, I, I was like, there's there's the trigger, trauma trigger. Right? My not growing up in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> they are not repeating my childhood of yes. <laughs> right. So, so there we go. I'm like, we're not repeating that. So 
we're like, well, we like the beach. We're always going to the beach on the weekends, even though we don't have, to have we don't have the money for it. So what if we just move there and then we don't have to like spend our weekend money on going to the beach? So we decided to move to the next closest beach, which was where we are, where I am now. He's still here as well. Um, we're in Delaware at the beach. Mm-hmm. So we moved here and life just, again, the pieces just, I just kept sliding the pieces until they started to form a better picture for me, right? Mm-hmm. The picture of what it was that I was imagining for myself and the marriage ended up dissolving as well, you know, with, with my, the father of my children. And I ended up getting really sick after losing mommy, after the marriage was hitting a lot of tough spots. I lost a couple other family members too within like mm-hmm. four months of each other. So it was a it was a big whammy. That's a lot. Right. And then I had my daughter. This all within five months of each other. So it was like loss, 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 loss of all my friends from the city. I knew no one. I'm in this new place and now I have a child and my partner is not present with me and I feel very alone and I'm sick. And I feel like I'm literally going to die. Right. So yeah, it reached that point to where I was, I was very sick. I was sick for about seven months with vomiting every day, severe chronic pain, gastrointestinal troubles. You know, they thought kidney stones, they got, they thought gallbladder, they thought this, they thought that I was doing all kinds of testing up and down the state. I'm like, I have cancer. That's what my mommy just passed from. That's what my other two family members just passed from. This must be that same cancer because they all died from colon cancer. So I thought, well, the doctors can't help me. So I'm going to go try this woman that I heard about, this shaman person. <laughs> and I've never heard of a shaman. Never heard of a shaman. So I'm like, all right, let me just try this because I am about ready to check out of this life at this point. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.